Yeah. It's hard to have an ego when you when you put a dog on a coin. But <laughs> Do you want to impact the world and still turn a profit? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to Growth Everywhere. This is the show where you'll find real conversations with real entrepreneurs. They'll share everything from their biggest struggle to the exact strategies they use on a daily basis. So if you're ready for a value-packed interview, listen on. Here's your host, Eric Sue. Today's episode of Growth Everywhere is brought to you by Single Grain. Single Grain is a digital marketing agency ran by yours truly that has helped venture-backed startups to Fortune 500 companies grow their revenues online. Single Grain covers services such as search engine optimization, Facebook advertising, Google advertising, YouTube advertising, content marketing, and conversion rate optimization. To learn more about Single Grain, go to www.singlegrain.com grow to learn about eight marketing campaigns that we've used in the past to help uh, clients grow, including the one that helped generate over 1,500% return on investment. Hey everyone, today's interview is with Jackson Palmer, who is one of the co-founders of Dogecoin. Dogecoin is a cryptocurrency or a digital currency that is similar to Bitcoin. It's actually in the same world. Uh, there's Bitcoin, Litecoin, Feathercoin, lots of different coins out there. Um, Dogecoin is another one of them. Um, Dogecoin is a it's it's a really interesting one. It has a cute little uh, Shiba Shiba Inu um, as as kind of the the mascot for the coin. Um, and so basically, Jackson is you know he's he's co-founded uh, Dogecoin cryptocurrency in the last year and it's exploded. Um, you know it you know he has a community on Reddit um, that he didn't even start. I mean, there's over thirty thousand people engaged on it, um, and the currency itself is worth over thirty million right now. Um, Jackson also uh, works for Adobe full time as a product manager, but I mean he's an evangelist for things like digital currencies, um, you know things like Apple Pay, Stripe, and all that. So you're gonna learn a lot here. I mean I'm personally a newbie with all of this, um, so I hope this sheds a lot of light and and helps out. So enjoy. Hi everyone, welcome to this week's edition of Growth Everywhere, where we interview entrepreneurs and bring you business and personal growth tips. Today we have Jackson Palmer, who is the founder of Dogecoin. And also works at Adobe. Jackson, how are you doing today? Great. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for being on the show. So why don't you tell us, it, tell us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about Dogecoin? Cool. Um, well, my name is Jackson Palmer. Um, i traditionally a marketer, so um, that's what I was trained in. That's what I did my degree in. Um, I've been working with Adobe for about six years now. Um, so I'm a product marketing manager on the Creative Cloud there. Um, and late last year, actually about... 12 months ago exactly, um, I was getting really into the world of digital currency and cryptocurrency um, and kind of as a, as a bit of a joke actually, um, put out a tweet about, about this thing that came to mind called Dogecoin. I mean, at the time it was nothing but that, a tweet. Um, and then the rest, they, as they say, is history. Uh, but uh, it's over the last 12 months, it's gained a lot of traction, a, a lot, big, massive community. Um, and it's kind of you know, sprung me into uh, speaking about digital currency as a whole. Well, Got it. Okay. So, you know, the for the newbie, and I consider myself a newbie too, even though I've read some stuff about cryptocurrencies, I mean, what are the implications of cryptocurrencies, digital currencies, whatever you want to call them? Yeah. So a digital currency is is really just a, kind of like a token, right? So just think of it as like a, a digitized credit um, that you're given on a network. And the really cool thing about the 
about Bitcoin, so Bitcoin is a little bit different, right? So typically, um, you know, when your money you know, um, is in a bank, it's digitized there as well. So, you know, you can't really, when you're, you're logged into Bank of America or Chase, um, you don't really see your cash floating around. It's all digitized there as well. Um, but the problem with, with things like banks and PayPal and all of these other financial uh, services are they're centralized. They're hosted on a server somewhere. Um, and so if that gets hacked uh, or something goes down, well, then the whole system gets broken. Um, so what Bitcoin does and, and what cryptocurrencies do is they use something called blockchain technology. Uh, now, a blockchain, a simple way of thinking about it is it's a massive public ledger of every transaction that's ever taken place on the network. Um, and the benefit of that is that everything's super transparent. So nobody can lie because every time I transfer, you know, Eric some money, um, it's recorded and everybody, you know, when I go to, if I went and tried to spend that again with somebody else, they'd say, oh no, you just sent that to Eric half an hour ago. You can't send that to me again. Um, now, Bitcoin, the way it keeps it secure um, and where the cryptography part comes in is uh, it uses this thing uh, called public key cryptography. So when you go ahead and you say, I essentially want a Bitcoin account, um, you generate something called a public key. And you can kind of think about that as like your inbox, your email, right? Um, it's, it's a long string and you've probably seen these around the internet and they can be represented in a QR code as well. Um, this long string is essentially your mailing address um, for where your Bitcoin will go. Um, and at the same time, when you generate it, uh, Bitcoin, the network also, the application also throws back what's called a private key. And that's a really long string, which is kind of like your password. And so um, anybody can send money to your public key, but only you can control what goes into that, pu that public key because you've got the private key or the password. And that so... That's how transactions work. So every time you send something that is exists or allocated to your, your public key, that gets recorded as a transaction. So nobody really ever holds a Bitcoin. Um, they sim there's simply a, a record of you know, how many times you and I sent uh, you know, Bitcoin between our two public addresses. Got it. Now, I've heard there's there's even more implications than this where, you know, Bitcoin eliminates, for example, you know, the PayPal's of the world will take a small transaction fee, whatever percentage it is, and Bitcoin kind of helps eliminate that. Is this true? Yeah. So um, the way that Bitcoin works is because there's no servers mm -hmm. um, involved, it is actually decentralized and distributed across every computer on the network. Uh, and these are called nodes. Um, so basically everybody that's participating in the network has a big, downloads a big copy of this public ledger and every 10 minutes they get the new version of it, essentially. At, at the moment, that, that big ledger is about 30 gigabytes in size, so it's growing because um, every transaction is there. Uh, the benefit of that is, is that if one of those nodes goes down, say there's an earthquake somewhere and a data center gets wiped out, well, everybody else in the network can still survive. Um, the way that you know, all those nodes, you know, that introduces the problem that one node could lie and another node could say something else. And so there's this um, thing that's built on top of Bitcoin called mining, which is essentially, uh, you know, to put it simply, a bunch of computers every 10 minutes around the world um, compete to generate a, a random number, and they don't know what that's going to be. Um, and one, it's kind of like a lottery. And as, and as, soon, as, as soon as they can generate um, the random number, which is uh, the hash of the previous 10 minutes block, uh, so it's a little bit technical, um, 
they are awarded some Bitcoin for, for putting all that work in. It's called proof of work. Um, and they write that, that last 10 minutes of transactions into the network. So that is how the whole network functions. And because of that, you can send money um, between these different nodes and just push something out of the network without any cost really to you as a user. That being said, um, all, the, um, all the miners are spending money on powering these big mining rigs, right? Mm -hmm. So these are, we're not talking about just the average household computer anymore. Some of these people have set up huge data centers in Iceland where there's really cheap um, electricity and it's also naturally cold. So it's, it's, it's beneficial if you're running a lot of um, computers doing a lot of hard math. Um, so there is also, so it has to remain profitable for those guys to do that, right? Um, so they have to make a profit off the Bitcoin that they earn every 10 minutes. So there is, um, to continue incentivizing that, so there's a small transaction fee applied to every Bitcoin thing, every Bitcoin transaction, and that is a, uh, a sliding scale. And we haven't really landed on where that will end up, but um, it's it's definitely cheaper than, say, Western Union, where you're paying some massive amount to send money across the world. Right, and this will change the world because, you know, people in like South Africa, for example, can't afford to pay these transaction fees, right? Same thing with credit cards, too. Exactly, yeah. One of the big use cases of Bitcoin and digital all digital currencies is the, the, the market remittances. Um, it, it's, it's just a huge market. It's a huge problem. And um, there are a few people that have a monopoly on that space, like uh, Western Union, and they, and they can charge whatever they really want uh, in terms of transaction fees. So as long as there's an exchange um, you know, in Africa or somewhere, um, and I'm trying to send you know, a family there some money, as long as there's an exchange where they can get that from Bitcoin back out into the local currency, then it, it is a lot, ends up being a lot cheaper for them. Got it. Okay. So, you know, I switched to Bitcoin naturally, but I'm talking about Dogecoin here. Um, so Dogecoin, I mean, what is, you know, I've gone to those currency sites where it shows, you know, the, the Litecoins of the world, the Dogecoins, all these different coins. How, why are all of these popping up? Yeah, it's, it's crazy, actually. So this is kind of what spurred Dogecoin in the first place. Uh, so it was late last year, there was a lot fewer digital currencies. Um, it was like probably a new one coming on the scene every, every few weeks or every month. Um, and so you've probably heard of ones like Litecoin and Feathercoin, and there's a whole bunch. Um, if you go to coinmarketcap.com, you can see the whole range. Um, what these all are are just slight variations, really, on the same Bitcoin code. So people fork the code base of Bitcoin and make some changes. Like um, in the case of Litecoin, they made, uh, instead of every 10 minutes, the, the ledger is refreshed every two and a half minutes. Um, and there's different block rewards. There's, there's, they kind of change a lot of the magic numbers, or they change, you know, the the algorithm behind it and stuff like that. Um, it's really kind of a test bed to test different innovative like ways of approaching Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. um, but the, the the result of that is that there's been a lot of something coins that have that have come out. And so 12 months ago, when I saw this happening, that's what spurred me. Um, I just read a, a, a blog post by Adrian Chan from Gawker about how Doge was the, the, the meme of the year for 2013. Mm -hmm. And so I guess my brain put two and two together um, and uh, came up with Dogecoin. It was just a, just a joke, like I said at the time. Got it. Now, Dogecoin for, for everyone, to, I mean, I'll just let you explain the, the meme. I mean, it's a, it's a freaking dog, but I'm just going to leave it at that. Why don't you explain it? <laughs> if, you, if you just look up Doge meme, um, and so D-O-G-E, uh, it's, it's a picture of a Japanese uh, dog. Uh, the breed is a Shiba Inu. Um, it's a it's a super cute dog which you've probably seen um, and it's kind of taken over the internet. I think it's most people's favorite internet dog. Uh, 
And so, yeah, I, I simply put the, the face of that on a coin um, and launched it as a joke. Okay. So let, let's say, okay, you know, you're, you're a, a, a digital currency enthusiast. How do you go about, okay, I think you joked about it on Twitter, right? And then all of a sudden you're, you're, you're making it. How do you make it happen? How do you create a digital currency? Yeah, so people uh, really resonated with people when, when I put this tweet out and there's a few people are saying, you, know, you should actually make that a thing. Um, and then a couple of days later, my co-founder, um, Billy, who was based up in Portland at the time, uh, I, was, I was still in Australia at this point. I only moved to San Francisco earlier this year. Um, so we were you know, emailing back and forth and he said, hey, uh, he reached out on Twitter actually and said, hey, I've, I've actually realized you can change the fonts in... Uh, in the Bitcoin client to be Comic Sans, which is kind of the, the font that goes along with the with the funny picture of the dog. Um, he's like, we should actually make this a thing just for fun, and it's a learning experience, right? Um, so we went ahead, and, and I, it took you know only a few hours really to get it all put together, and we put up a, a page and launched it. And you know, at the time, we just thought, oh, it's it's going to be you know it'll it'll last for about three days or something. It won't really uh, take off because um, it was a joke in our mind. Um, but then over time, you know, as of today, it's a $30 million economy. So, uh, mm. it, it just kind of took us by shock when it grew to what it, so Dogecoin is a $30 million economy just by itself, right? That's right. Yeah. So if you take all the Dogecoins that are currently exist or have been mined, mm-hmm. um, it, they, and you, you would get their USD value at the moment, it, it's around 30 million. Um, that's gone upwards of 60 million at times and it, it really fluctuates based mm. on the price of the coin and Bitcoin's price, you know, for comparison's sake, Bitcoin is a $6 billion economy um, for all the Bitcoins. Got it. Now, how does that, you know, how does that affect you individually? You know, you, you can say, I'm the founder of Dogecoin, it's a $30 million currency. How does that affect you? Yeah, it's been really interesting. So I wasn't as he- anywhere as heavily involved in the cryptocurrency space that I was when I, when I started it uh, or am now. And... Um, it kind of took us by shock at first, but um, what we found is that so Dogecoin really, um, I think a lot of people, Bitcoin has a bad kind of image in the press um, and, and, and in the mainstream tech world, I think. Um, a lot of people associate it with, you know, the, the Silk Road, um, drug scandals, hacking and that kind of stuff and um, some other political movements as well. And so Dogecoin came along and was kind of this, you know, didn't take itself too seriously, had a funny dog on it. And so... It really kind of appealed to a different demographic, and um, it worked as kind of a learning, um, or uh, yeah, a learning tool for people to get involved in digital currency. They're like, I didn't want to touch this Bitcoin thing, but you know, now I'm playing around with some funny, funny money on online as a dog, and on it, and uh, they start getting interested. So it, it was kind of like a really uh, easy access point, and we so we started seeing a lot more uh, younger people getting involved, a lot more women getting involved, um, and then it started to really take off on social networking sites. So I think probably one of the big strengths of Dogecoin was the community that kind of popped up around it. Got it. You know what? Let's talk about that community for a second because I do remember reading something about the, the Reddit community. Can you talk about that for a second? Absolutely, yeah. So it was really crazy for me as a marketer to see kind of how um, how this all you know popped up around an idea. Um, I didn't create any of the official social accounts really. I, I fired up a Twitter account. Um, but other than that, you know, the Facebook pages, the Reddit communities, et cetera, all, all popped up out of nowhere. And it's one of those things you can't really predict as a marketer when something's going to be truly viral. Um, but when it, when it does, it just spreads like wildfire. So, 
Um, yeah, there's a for those that don't know, Reddit's a popular community platform um, where people share links and content and can comment and earn karma, um, which is just kind of like upvotes. And um, yeah, it just really took off. You, there's a there's a subreddit for Dogecoin over there, and I think it's at around just under ninety thousand people right now. Um, what really kind of helped there was um, about we've been about ten days in after we launched it. Um, a guy called Josh Moland um, started a, a bot um, called Doge Tip Bot, um, and the concept of this was that. If somebody posts something online that you like, so they post a, a cool music video or whatever, mm. um, instead of just clicking the like button, which is like you click, people click millions of like buttons every day, but it isn't really tangible. Instead, you can send you know the value of a quarter to somebody. So you'd send them a thousand Doge, and that might be one one dollar. Mm-hmm. Um, and you could really you could do that by entering a simple comment. And so this started. This really took off because. People were tipping their friends, and these friends had never heard of Dogecoin or let alone digital currency. And they're like, what is this thing? So they go and read about it, and then because they had some, they'd then share it with their friends. And so that it had like this tipping was kind of like the killer app, I guess, um, for Dogecoin. And um, it had this inbuilt virality. You know, it spread to one person and it just kept growing and growing and growing outwards. So, mm. yeah. Got it. So, you know, even though the, the value of it fluctuates, is the number of users going up? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So if you, you can look at the number of transactions that takes place, you can look at the number of nodes, there's a whole bunch of different ways to measure it. Um, the, way that, the way that the coin, all of these different uh, currencies work is that over time as those miners do their job, um, more and more coins get minted um, or released out. Um, and so the total number of coins, uh, there's a cap. On all of them. So for Bitcoin, it's 21 million Bitcoin will ever be mined. For Dogecoin, it's 100 billion. Um, and we're actually nearly at the 100 billion. And so at the end of the year, um, that'll taper back and then it'll be a much lower reward. Um, and that'll have some interesting impacts on the price because, you know, this, it's, it's simply a game of supply and demand. So got it. Okay. So you, I mean, you know, I know you mentioned, you know, there's all these different coins and it serves as a test bed and eventually someone's going to come out as a quote unquote winner. Um, and you and your co-founder kind of control Dogecoin, right? What's to stop anyone that, you know, let's say I come up with like a winner and then I'm like, you know what? I want to just do things my way. I'm going to start abusing it. Can I do that? No, you can't. And that's what's really cool about digital currency. Um, because it's decentralized um, and this is the case with Bitcoin, Dogecoin, anything. So I, I'm actually not the uh, core developer on Dogecoin anymore. We have a team of volunteers who do it and just mm-hmm. keep going. Um, the cool thing is because everybody on the network, like I said, has to agree um, on the on on the that that ledger being the being correct. Um, if one developer goes ahead and changes the code and releases mm-hmm. a different version, then they have to get more than fifty one percent of the network to uh. upgrade that new version, right? So the network moves where like, the swarm move, if you will. So uh, it's the same in Bitcoin. If they had a malicious person release a, a certain version of it, um, nobody, that no one person controls it because they'd have to somehow convince 51% of people to go and install this bad version of it. Um, and so, and, and then that's really hard. You know, before that would ever happen, um, it would be you know on the blogs and stuff, and people would be like, "Don't upgrade to this version." So got it. Okay. Great. Now, you know, with Bitcoin, you know, Overstock is using it. Um, so there's some some big examples there. I mean, for Dogecoin, can you give me some some real world examples? Yeah, absolutely. So tipping is the is the big one, um, and it's really taken off on Reddit. 
Um, there's also uh, Twitch TV, which is a, a popular gaming uh, streaming site. So for those that are unaware, um, people who are playing video games can stream it and um, people can view. Uh, what's really cool about that is um, pe- people can now go into these chat rooms and watch their favorite people playing games and they can say, "You're doing. I, I really like the work you're doing. Here, have some Dogecoin, which has real monetary value. And the cool kind of like ecosystem that's built around that is that people get this Dogecoin and they can buy more games, which they can then stream more of. So it's like this closed loop ecosystem, which is really exciting. Uh, and you can also spend Doge for a whole bunch of other things. Like I bought myself a, a jar, a giant jar of Nutella with it. <laughs> you can there's a there's a there's a um, popular company that sells um, that sells hot sauce, uh, which you can buy with Dogecoin. Um, you can buy T-shirts, all sorts of merchandise. Um, there's really, there's actually a, a, a few good communities where they have lists of all the stores that accept it. So, yeah. Nice, cool. What do you, uh, so, I mean, you know, I decided to just random, randomly buy a few Bitcoin when it was like, like 600 bucks or 500 bucks. I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm getting it at a good price. Now it's at like, <laughs> I don't know, two or $300. So what yeah. do you, what's your take on like investing into the currency itself? Right, yeah, and, and this is a really tricky one. So Bitcoin, because of the volatility of the price, has attracted people who see it as a potential get-rich-quick scheme. Um, and you know, the, the unfortunate side of that is that volatility isn't good for its use as a currency um, if it ever expects to be taken seriously because um, when a currency can fluctuate like that and go, you know, back you know, late last year it went from up to 1000 or $1,200 um, and then it crashed back down to about 500. Um, but when you have that kind of volatility in a market, um, it discourages merchants from accepting it because they could sell some goods today and then tomorrow it would be worth half what they what they sold it for. Um, and it also discourages consumers from using it because you want to you want to naturally hold on to your bitcoins because you think well they could be worth double tomorrow. Um, so volatility poses a really big problem for Bitcoin. But thankfully, in the last kind of six months, it's um, definitely plateaued and stabilized, so it's, it's it ranges between about three and four hundred dollars. Oh, there goes my value. <laughs> <laughs> it might go up. You know, it is a deflationary currency, so we'll see what happens. But ultimately, my my advice is um, not to think of it as an investment opportunity, but think of it as an ultimate way to transact online. Um, and so, if there's absolutely a use case for you, like a reason for you to use it, then totally use it. Like if you're sending money from one country to another. Um, it's most likely going to be a cheaper way to do so. Um, and in the case of uh, buying stuff online, you know, there's been a few people that we just had Bitcoin Black Friday, which was um, quite large, and you know, a lot of merchants were giving special discounts to people that paid with Bitcoin. So, if there's a use case for it, then definitely get some Bitcoin and spend it. But um, I, I wouldn't recommend it. It's a it's a very high risk speculative market that I wouldn't recommend people invest in. This. Got it. Now. Can you give us an example of, of what uh, a black a Bitcoin Black Friday would look like? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so that that's people like uh, Newegg, for instance. Newegg.com, they're a big electronics retailer. Um, they they do their regular Black Friday Cyber Monday sales, right? Um, but they also have a payment option, so you can buy anything on on Newegg with Bitcoin. Um, they have another option where if you spend Bitcoin. They'll say, well, these 30 products, you get a special discount. You get, you know, 10 or 20% off. Um, and so a bunch of merchants have gone ahead and done that. And to them, it's like accepting a new payment method. But um, it also uh, opens it up so that it, it, 
their customers they might not have gotten otherwise. So, um, and the cool thing for the for people like Newegg and some of the other stores that are using it is they've partnered with there's, there's some merchant services in the space, kind of like the PayPal's of Bitcoin, if you will. Um, BitPay is one, Coinbase is another. And what happens is when these people go along and buy, say, I buy a TV online from Newegg um, with Bitcoin. Um, this merchant service automatically converts the Bitcoin into US dollars at the time of purchase and then sends the money to the to Newegg. So the, 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 the benefit for the merchant there is they've essentially accepted a new payment method that they might not have had that customer before, mm-hmm. um, but they're still getting paid in US dollars so they don't have to worry about, you know, somehow paying this manufacturer in uh, Bitcoin. Got it. Cool. So... The you know what are you doing or what's one unique thing you're doing to bring more awareness to Dogecoin? So you're speaking and things like that. Is there anything else? Absolutely. So I, I, well, when I think about what I do in the space, it's more um, kind of raising awareness about the whole idea of digital currency um, rather than just Dogecoin in particular. I think Dogecoin's really cool because it's a fun thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have a lot of events and meetups, um, and the community gets together. And I feel that. Um, you know, one of the problems with the Bitcoin community is that because the price was so volatile and stuff like that, um, people, you know, tensions were high. It was a very serious space to be in. And the cool thing about Dogecoin um, is that it's more accepting. It doesn't take itself too seriously. So for newbies to come along and get into something, I think it's a lot easier. And so I see Dogecoin as just one of many kind of like education methods and getting people more comfortable with the idea of, of transacting digitally. Um, so I, I go to I, I spend a lot of my time speaking at conferences, um, doing panels and stuff like that. Um, but I don't just talk about you know cryptocurrency. I talk about other things like um, the work that Stripe is doing, Apple Pay, um, Square Cash, Venmo, all of that kind of stuff. Because I think um, all of this works together to kind of uh, educate the current generation um, that, that's that's growing up online. That you know in maybe twenty years there won't be cash. It'll it'll all be you know transacting by tapping my phone on something so got it okay great well i was just going to ask you how you think stripe and apple pay are going to change the world but i think you just answered it right there yeah um okay so you know when i looked at the interview with you and kevin rose and and that's a great interview i'll make sure to to link to that in the show notes um it seems like you do understand a lot of different things i mean you're you're at adobe you're doing dogecoin and then i think you have some programming experience as well right yeah so how does one understand so many things i just want to know like how you go about knowing all these things (laughs) um a lot of late nights no i i think that um i've always kind of seen myself as a technical marketer so um even before i went uh you know studied marketing uh i i was always very technical from a young age and um and i actually saw marketing as a perfect fit for that because i feel that um as a marketer you should be you know at least semi-aware of what it is that you're selling, right? What it is that you're positioning and understanding kind of the pain points, I guess, and the needs of your customers, right? Um, and so I, I always kind of strive in everything that I do to make it an educational opportunity so that I can get something out of it. So um, I, I tend to, you know, I guess the way that I keep up to date with everything is that I'll take on smaller projects as a, as a way to kind of learn. And that's how I, you know, got into development um, is purely, um, you know, because I was marketing a certain product at Adobe back in the day, um, I got into web development and made sure that I could kind of, you know, uh, I could relate to the, to the customers I was, I was talking with every day. 
Now, do your colleagues at Adobe know that you're like the payments guy, digital currency, Stripe, <laughs> Apple Pay, and some all this? Some of them do. Yeah, some of them do. Uh, it, it's I haven't really spread the news around a lot. It was it was a little tricky when I was back in Sydney, and my my face showed up on the front page of the Sydney Morning Herald, which is a big paper over there. And um, I, the, my my uh, gig was up there. Everybody was like, "Hey, that's you." Um, but yeah, Adobe's really cool with it, actually. Um, you know, I think Adobe's a pretty forward-thinking company, and um, you know, it, it's something that every company has to be kind of conscious of that, that payments are going this way. So hopefully one day maybe I'll even be able to kind of merge the two. But um, yeah. Totally. Now, I mean, you're a technical marketer. So where do you, you know, what do you see happening for marketing in 2015? What's, what's new? What's new for marketing? That's a tricky one. So I, I think uh, definitely mobile is, is just, you know, most people are browsing um, online now via a mobile phone and you know as as phones have gotten bigger as well and kind of merged with tablets I think that's becoming like the sweet spot for like getting into the into everybody's home um, I honestly think the next step and what's going to be really huge in 2015 is is going to be online transactions so you have seen Apple pay has been released um, and it's been hugely successful in just the few months that it's been out uh, you have other things which are really interesting like snap uh, Snapcash. So mm. Snapchat um, partnered with Square to implement um, basically tipping within Snapchat. So it's kind of an interesting way to monetize content in a way. Um, you know, I post a cool story on Snapchat and I think the maximum um, transaction is about $5, but I, I can send you a tip. I'd be like, hey, that's awesome what you did there. Um, and I think you're really seeing the growth of services like Venmo um, and, and Square and stuff like that. So I think it's going to get to a point where um, a lot of, instead of people sitting on their laptops or their home computers making these online purchases, a lot of it's going to be happening via mobile and it's going to be really seamless mm-hmm. and integrated with social. So um, the, I, I'm talking purchasing, you know, your friend posts a cool pair of sneakers on Twitter and there's a buy link right there. You click it and it already knows you're shipping. You've got money stored against your Twitter account and, it, and it's paid. So with one click on my mobile phone, I can... Um, buy a pair of shoes and have it the next day. I think that's the kind of like really uh, like tight integration we're going to see in, in 2015. Wow. Okay. Now, was there any point in time where you had a big struggle while growing Dogecoin or was it just smooth sailing? Um, it's it's definitely been challenging. Like I think at first it was really overwhelming, um, especially, you know, we got a lot of media attention. Um, we were running a whole bunch of different charities and, and kind of PR stuff. So we, we had, you know, we, we sent the Jamaican bobsled team to the Sochi Winter Olympics. That's one thing we did. Um, we raised a lot of money for charity water. We did a whole bunch of stuff. We sponsored a NASCAR, uh, which was another crazy thing. Um, just kind of like managing and wrangling all of that and obviously dealing with large amounts of money and charities. Um, it was challenging at first, but then I kind of realized um, that you can leverage a community to help drive that stuff. So um that's what I kind of like had to learn to do is to kind of like farm that stuff out to community members and, and then get them on board. And um, a lot, when people are passionate about something, um, they they have no qualms with like, like putting their hands up and volunteering. So um, I think that was a big takeaway for me is that you, you definitely need to trust your community. Okay. So you had the community kind of chipping in to help with these. Uh, how else did you get funding for a freaking NASCAR or Sochi? <laughs> Yeah, and that was so that was all done through Dogecoin itself. So um, people were mining Dogecoin and sharing it with other people. And you know, the way I kind of 
explain this to people is say on so we raised it was around thirty thousand US dollars that was raised for the Jamaicans. Mm-hmm. Um, it was about fifty thousand for the um, NASCAR. Now the the way that happens is say you have say you're on Reddit um, and, and you have a, the subreddit at the time had around thirty thousand people. Um, all it takes is each one of those thirty thousand people donating one dollars worth of Dogecoin, and you've just funded your project. Mm. Now, the cool thing about digital currency, like I was saying before, is it allows you to send these amounts of money really seamlessly. And so, you know, if I was, I don't think you can really send anybody a dollar with PayPal or, you know, you're going to get hit with a transaction fee larger than that. <laughs> you try to do that on your credit card, right? Yep. So um, it, it made total sense. And this is where, like, uh, funding things with cryptocurrency is kind of efficient. So, yeah, it was, we, we seriously, somebody would post an idea as, as zany as, you know, let's, Let's fund the Jamaicans to go to Sochi, and uh, you know, then it took twenty-four hours to raise that thirty thousand dollars, and it was literally thirty thousand people on Reddit clicking, basically just typing "tip one dollar." Wow, I was thinking, you know, there might have been like some investors saying, "Hey, let's do it," but it's totally all community, huh? Exactly, community. Yeah, all community. Wow. Okay. Sounds like you need like a Dogecoin email list to blast. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, okay. Now, what's What's one piece of advice you'd give to your 25-year-old self? Ooh, that's an interesting one. Um, I think be open to everything and don't be afraid to kind of fail. I think that's something that I've kind of learned is that, um, you know, a lot of the time, yeah, so I, I think a lot of the time people are too afraid to get something off the ground because they're worried about what might happen. But you never really know until you try um, and so something I've kind of learned is that always before you start a project, think, don't worry about whether it can, will, could fail at the end of the day. Worry about whether you, even if it does fail or if it does succeed, what you'll get out of it like in terms of personal growth. So um, I'm about to, if I'm about to go and start working on a project and launch it in a month, you know, instead of sitting around getting nothing done because I'm worried it's going to fail or stressing about what might happen if it can succeed, say, well, if either of those outcomes comes true, what will I have learned? Um, and so I, that's definitely my kind of mantra is if, if at the end of the day I can teach myself a new technology or, you know, learn a new programming language or um, learn something about online marketing in the process, um, then in a month's time, even if the whole thing goes belly up and doesn't work, well, then I've come out of it, you know, having a greater depth of knowledge and, you know, personally growing. So I think you just got to keep doing that and not be afraid to fail. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Now, who is your idol and why? Interesting. I don't really have an idol, actually. Um, I think, to be honest, I'm a big Bill Gates fan. Um, I think his philanthropy is amazing. And I think he, um, he and Melinda have always stayed really humble. Um, you know, I, I don't think he's ever really become kind of, the, you know, thought of himself too highly or, you know, acted like a jerk, um, which I think you get a lot in, in Silicon Valley. And mm. when money goes to people's heads, right, they kind of get an ego. Um, I've never really, I, I've always seen Bill Gates as that kind of dorky, humble guy. So, um, yeah, I definitely admire him. Well, I certainly see you as a humble guy. So, you know, oh, <laughs> there you go. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, 
there, I, it's weird because I mean, typically I've, I've done a lot of these interviews, but you know, my first my first reaction was this guy has zero ego. So um, that's that's a testament <laughs> to you. So um, <laughs> moving on here, what's it's, one... hard to, it's hard to have an ego when you, you when you put a dog on a coin. But... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna need to maybe I'll, maybe I'm gonna invest in Dogecoin too and let, and see what happens with that. But anyway, community's um, yeah, welcoming. So yeah, <laughs> what's one must? I mean, what's one productivity hack you can share? On productivity hack, um, I definitely um, so my productivity hack. Like a lot of people ask me all the time, like, how do you keep up to date with everything that's happening? Because it's like in tech, especially, um, there is always like you know some new startup that's going around or something like that. I'm a big, big fan of RSS, and I know a lot of people stopped using RSS because of Twitter and because of Facebook and these things that are constantly putting stuff in your in your face. Something that people, a lot of people don't realize about Twitter and Facebook is, and, and any social site, is they have recommendation algorithms which essentially bubble stuff up into your feed in, and put in front of you that either A, advertisers are paying for to put in front of you, or B, um, it thinks it knows you want to see. And so a lot of the time, um, based on habits you might not have known that you've had, um, you, you miss out on stuff. Um, and, and so I feel like RSS is like a just a clean feed. So I, I, I use an RSS reader with like hundreds and hundreds of feeds that I just, if I find a website, I'm like, where's their RSS? And then every day I'll skim through about, I guess, a thousand headlines and just pick out things, mark them, and then read them at the end of the day. I think that's my best productivity hack because um, it, it's kind of having a clean feed of everything that's happening and not kind of falling victim, I guess, to um, this whole social recommendation thing that's Meant to help, but often can make things a bit blurry. Yeah. What do you What do you use for RSS? Do you use like Feedly or something? I use so I used to be a big Google Reader fan, and then they shut it down, and I was so sad about that. Um, I then built my own, which was like a personal project that I built, and I ran that for about two years, and then just recently I've uh, switched to AOL Reader. So AOL actually, I, I went through a whole bunch of ones. There's Dig, there's Feedly. Um, AOL Reader is really cool. It's just reader.aol.com. Um, it's clean, easy to use, cool mobile client. Interesting. Okay. I've never heard that recommendation of all RSS. It's free. It's free. There's no ads. It's like it's just a cool little side project that I think a bunch of people at AOL built. And uh, you don't really hear a lot about it, but it's really good. Cool. I'll have to check it out. Um, now, what's one must-read book you'd recommend to the audience? Interesting. Um, <laughs> I honestly don't. You've got me. I don't really have a recommendation for a book. I, I, I honestly, I'll, I'll admit that I don't read a lot of books. Um, I think if I was to, you, what, what's your favorite blog? What's my favorite blog? Well, my favorite blog is definitely The Verge because I just love everything that they do. Um, and yeah, I, I don't really, I, I think I, I, when I do read, I read a lot more like nonfiction science stuff. So I re- don't really have a book. Like I'd probably say like a scientific textbook or something. But that would no, be, that, that would be good. I don't really have any that come to mind. I'm reading right now that the science of interstellar, which is really cool. So they actually released a book about the film. Um, uh, so Christopher Nolan actually worked, um, with Kip Thorne, um, to kind of go through and do, and, and kind of lay out everything because the, the, the science in that film is pretty crazy. So mm. cool book for anybody to check out that wants to. Cool. 
No, I like that. See, it's, it's always good to have a change up every now and then. You know, you get a lot of entrepreneurial books, but every once in a while, something very like data science or like space science, oh. whatever. Yeah, it's great. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So, Jackson, what's the best way for people to find you online? Okay, so the best way to find me, um, I live a pretty public life, which can be good and bad, but um, I'm at umjackson.com, so that's U-M-M-Jackson.com. Um, you can find me on Twitter, just just Twitter, search uh, Jackson Palmer, Facebook, Google+, everything. So, yeah, LinkedIn. Okay, perfect. Well, Jackson, Jackson, thanks so much for doing this. Everyone, this is Jackson Palmer of Dogecoin. Anytime. Thanks for having me. All right, thank you. If you're interested in growing your revenues online and you're tired of ho-hum agency work, then it might be time to check out Single Grain. Single Grain is a digital marketing agency ran by yours truly that has helped venture-backed startups to Fortune 500 companies grow their revenues online. Check out Single Grain at www.singlegrain.com grow to get a free resource on eight marketing campaigns that we've used to help companies grow their revenues online, including the one that drove over 1,500% return on investment. Thanks for listening to this episode of Growth Everywhere. If you loved what you heard, be sure to head back to growtheverywhere.com for today's show notes and a ton of additional resources. But before you go, hit the subscribe button to avoid missing out on next week's value-packed interview. Enjoy the rest of your week and remember to take action and continue growing.